Why doesn't anyone care? Don't they get it? There's no one I can trust or depend on. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. We've heard those frustrated words from more than one senior leader across a range of industries. Look, if you've ever heard it or you've said it yourself, it probably reveals a serious problem with your talent development, how you're growing your people, and ultimately the future of your business and the work that your team does. When there's a crisis or there's an opportunity where you've got to move now, you don't have time to develop your people. You've got to respond. And if you're in a business where the reality is truly a series of crises or opportunities with really short windows, having the right people equipped with the right skills is even more important. If you struggle with talent development and feel like there's no one who cares or is capable, there are probably two mistakes that are crippling your talent development. The good news is that you can overcome both of them and help your people grow into the leaders you need them to be. So let's talk about these two mistakes. Very common. The first one is what I call anointing. The best example I can give is a manager named Jermaine. He was a, a talented general manager, and he'd recently been hired to lead a major change initiative. When he arrived at the new job, he reported to the SVP, the senior vice president, who was busy with several other high-priority uh, crises that were going on. Jermaine spent a day with the senior vice president, and he talked a really good game. He shared his human-centered leadership strategies, the results he was going to achieve, and how wonderful his new boss was. By the end of the day, that senior vice president had decided that Jermaine was awesome. Anything he wants, he gets. As weeks went by, the SVP, though, he started to hear grumbling from Jermaine's department. He ignored it, thinking, look, change is always challenging. They'll get with it. As the months went by, Jermaine started removing talented ready now leaders. He was replacing them with people who would do what they were told without asking questions. His department saw an increase in HR complaints about harassment, and there were several complaints that had to be settled with financial payouts. Within 18 months, Jermaine's change initiative had stalled out. The CEO investigated and discovered that Jermaine, who by all prior reports had been a stellar leader, had nearly destroyed the department. The CEO fired Jermaine and his SVP, and she had to rebuild the department and its leadership from scratch. This is an example of that first common talent development mistake, anointing. The literal definition of anointing from the dictionary is to ceremonially confer divine or holy office upon a person. In business, it looks like when a leader sizes up someone and mentally labels them as like a golden child who can do no wrong. And it happens all the time. Leaders are busy and they want to think the best of people or they're vulnerable to someone's charisma and flattery. But as soon as you anoint someone, there are a couple of problems. First is you stop paying attention. You're not evaluating the results. You're not looking at them objectively. And you just trust that the right things are happening. Because of that, you don't hold them accountable. You're not paying attention. You don't have the information you need and you're not practicing healthy accountability. And because of that, the person you've anointed, they stop growing. Without attention and accountability or coaching, they're not getting the healthy feedback that they need in order to grow. 
So they'll fall back on their natural tendencies, which in Jermaine's case ended up being fatal to his senior vice president's career too. And when all of that is happening, anointing can lead to the person getting in over their head. They've got a great reputation, and because of that, they're often given assignments that they're not really ready for. These could be learning opportunities, but only if they're supported with a scaffold of training and feedback. But without that scaffold, the employee who knows they got the job and the strength of their reputation, they'll go into overdrive working on their reputation, not the business. All of that leads to frustrated employees, lost team members, lost productivity, and in the case of Jermaine's boss, both of them lost their job. Anointing is the first talent development mistake. The second is something called staining. A woman named Patricia had started a new job and she was eight weeks into that role. She had her first meeting with the general manager, her boss's boss, and it didn't go well. The GM asked her how things were going and Patricia, who was affable and compassionate, replied with a long description of how she liked her coworkers and how delightful some of the customers were. The general manager, who was more of a gruff and direct person, well, her eyes glazed over until finally she excused herself from the conversation and Patricia went back to work. Six months later, during a talent review conversation, Patricia's supervisor recommended her for management training. The GM replied, I don't see it. She thinks it's a social club and she spends way too much time on the phone with customers. She doesn't get what we do here. Patricia's supervisor tried to persuade her boss of Patricia's merits, but it was in vain. A year later, Patricia transferred to another division in the company where she became a very successful leader. This is an example of the second common talent development mistake, staining. Staining is when you have one or two encounters with an employee. And from those brief moments, you extrapolate to assess their entire acumen and all of their potential. That person is forever stained in your mind. And again, there are several problems when you stain someone. First is you don't give them feedback. You don't believe they have potential, so you stop giving them the feedback they need and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You don't give them opportunities. That stain prevents you from seeing potential, so you don't want to waste it on people who you don't think can benefit from it. And because they're not getting feedback and you're not giving them opportunities, again, they don't grow. Deprived of what they need to grow and succeed, they'll stagnate and fail. And this is especially dangerous because it reinforces your mistaken belief in your ability to assess talent. You think you were right. See, I told you they weren't going to make it here. and Well, they didn't, but it was because you thought they couldn't. The antidote to anointing and staining is consistent ongoing talent development and it's a change in perspective to avoid either of those mistakes to fully develop your people and help them become the best version of themselves you've got to have a realistic perspective effective leaders understand that no person is perfectly awesome or perfectly awful everyone can grow your best employee can screw up and your struggling employee they can turn the corner and contribute because every one of us were a mix of strengths and as a leader, it's your job to draw out those strengths. One of the tools that we recommend all the time in order to avoid anointing and staining is a tool like the confidence competence model. It allows you to regularly assess your people. We all live on a spectrum of competence. How good are we at something? Highly competent or low competence? And then confidence, 
How confident are you? How much do you believe in your ability to do it? Is it high or is it low? And then you look at the intersection of those things. If somebody is low confidence and high competence, they're better than they think they are, they need your encouragement. If they're high competence and high confidence, they're good and they know they're good, they need to be challenged and get those stretch assignments and ways to grow. If they are highly confident but low competence, they're not as good as they think they are in a particular area, that's where they need coaching. And if their uh, competence is low and their confidence is also low, they're not doing that well and they're aware of it, that's somebody who might be new to role or they're, this, they're learning a new skill or have a new assignment and they need teaching and training. You need to be equipped to succeed. And if they've been there a while and you've done all those things, it's probably a poor fit. So using the confidence competence model will help you avoid anointing or staining because you take a specific realistic look at where that person is relative to the work they're doing and then give them what they need in order to grow. I will put a copy of the confidence competence model in the show notes so you can check that out. You can find those show notes at leadershipwithoutlosingyoursoul.com. Hey, this is Nora, and I have a question. Hi, David. My name is Jamie, and I'm calling in from Maine. My question is about... Hey, David. This is Julian from Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. This is John from Colorado Springs. This is Johan White from Kingston. I have a question for you. This is Cynthia from Baltimore. Hi, David. This is Susan from New Jersey, and my question is... Hi, David. This is Dean from Denver. I would love your advice on this. I love answering questions, and I would love to answer your leadership or management-related question or a question you have about any previous episode of the show. To send me your question, you can email it to me at david.die, D-Y-E, at letsgrowleaders.com, or you can go to the show website, leadershipwithoutlosingyoursoul.com, where you'll find a big orange button. You can click that button, and you can record your question. Leave us your name, tell us where you're from, and we will use your question in a future episode. Our recent episode on not treating your team like family has gotten quite a bit of interaction and exposure online. And one of the questions that came in was from Tina, who said that her boss is frequently referring to their organization and the team as a family. And Tina's question is, David, should I talk to my boss about this if it isn't healthy? I get what you're saying. Should I confront him or talk to him about calling us a family? Tina's question is an important one because it addresses more than just the specific issue about should should somebody talk about their team as a family or not. Any time you have a perspective on how your your leader, your boss, your, your business owner could be more effective or do something differently, you want to be careful about how you approach that. Um, if you approach it in a, in a positive, healthy way, it can really build your relationship and help you be seen as a strategic thinker. If you uh, approach it in an adversarial, fault-finding kind of a way, you've probably doomed your career in that organization. And so going about it in a, in a good way makes a difference. So what does that look like? Well, it starts with relationship. Just like any other kind of leadership, what's your relationship like with your boss? Do they trust you? Have you established your credibility? Do they know they can count on you? Are you getting results? 
I will tell you that as an executive, one of the things that can be challenging is when someone who isn't getting results and who is frequently having problems in their own performance wants to come and offer critiques on what the organization is doing. That's challenging. They don't have the credibility to be heard. But when someone who is doing really well comes and says, hey, I've got some insights and I'd like to share those. I think there's a way we can be more productive here. They have credibility and are likely to get a more open audience. So what's your relationship like? And what's your own performance like? Those are two things to start with. Then from there, get permission. And that's the bottom line for any kind of feedback that you're going to give someone who's in any kind of authority position or a peer position. When you are in a leadership role, you've got a responsibility to help people grow. And so you still say, hey, have a minute, you initiate the conversation and you carve out that space. They get a choice what they're going to do with it, but it is your responsibility to initiate that conversation. When you're talking to somebody at the same level or in an authority role, just going to ask permission. And like I just demonstrated with the, let's say that top performer who says, hey, I've got some insights on how we can be more effective. Would you be open to talking about those? Or would you like to hear them? They've asked permission. If I say yes, then they can share that with me. I still get to choose what I'm going to do with it. And that's the other part of this conversation is you can share your wisdom. You can share your insight, but you've got to share it and then walk away, not be attached to it, not, not put yourself in a position where your well-being is somehow tied to whether they take your advice or not. You're giving them an opportunity to act on something. They may or may not choose it. So in this instance, let's get to Tina's specific question. Let's assume that Tina's coming from a great relationship with her supervisor and also that her performance is good. And so she's coming from a place of relationship and she's got credibility. So she might approach her, her boss and say, hey, no, I was listening to this podcast the other day and they were talking about um, some of the problems that happen when we refer to ourselves as a family. And I had never thought about some of these things before. Anyhow, I thought it was interesting. I'd love to get, get your perspective on it. And that's the final piece, is you're inviting a conversation. So I'd love to get your perspective. Invites them into the conversation. And now you can have an actual conversation about it. But again, you're not getting attached to the results. It's ultimately their decision. They've got to make the decisions they're going to make for their team, their leadership. You've got to make the decisions you're going to make for how you treat people and how you're going to lead your team, but they've got to make their own. Don't make the mistake, and I see this all the time with really gung-ho, motivated, uh, frontline leaders, middle-level managers, who get really attached to the way that their boss is leading. And if they're not leading the way they think they should, they get incredibly frustrated and feel slighted or as if they haven't been heard when that's not the case. The other person has their own reasons for doing things. So Tina, thank you for that question. Build those relationships, ensure your credibility is sound, ask permission, and don't get attached to the results. I look forward to answering your question on a future episode. Remember, every employee can grow with the right combination of opportunity, accountability, and encouragement. And as a leader, that's your responsibility. You can't outsource that. So avoid anointing, avoid staining, 
and be the leader you'd want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.